Welcome back to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and Bob. We want to pick up where we left off in the last show. Bob, good to be with you, my friend. It's always great to be with you, Ross. Uh, I know there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of things that were controversial that we talked about in our last show about how to prepare for the end of the world. Wow. Hey, has there been anything in any of the 20 shows we've done to this point that wasn't controversial? I think that's that's part of it. Worldview matters, and, and it does matter what your worldview is. There are a lot of different worldviews out there, and we have, as we've shared with listeners many times before, ours is a Christian perspective. Our worldview is from a bibliocentric Christian standpoint. I got a question here, or a thought that I've had over the since our last show. As you well know, I've been reading the book Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. And if you're familiar, as I know you are, because you're the one who introduced me to this book. Uh, as a matter of fact, gave me this book, thankfully. I'm so grateful. My wife and I have enjoyed it immensely. But <clears throat> Bonhoeffer was a very interesting guy. He, he, you could say that he's one of the uh, most revered and spiritual Christians of the 20th century, born in 1906, executed, hung on April the 9th, 1945. And if you're familiar with history, that was 21 days before Hitler committed suicide. And Bonhoeffer was executed along with a number of the people who were involved in the Valkyrie attempt on Hitler's life. And three of those people, one was uh, was Bonhoeffer's brother, and two were brother-in-laws. So they were closely associated with that particular thing. But it, it struck me, here is a strong Christian in, the, in just the prime of his Christian life at, uh, at age 39, who was killed, taken out of the game. It seems so unfair. You say, there's so many things I want to ask Christ when I get to heaven. That's one of the things I want to ask him. But here was a man who prepared himself all of his life for the second coming or for his moving on to heaven. And that's what happened. So our we're not promised nirvana when we become a believer. Uh, there are tough things that happen. And so Part of what might happen to us as believers if Christ returns or if the tribulation begins during our lifetime, we might have to go through it. Well, Ross, I appreciate you bringing that up because that is going to happen in the end times for some believers. I mean, Scripture is very clear about that. Jesus himself said that one of the things that's going to happen right in that period of the end is that many of us will be delivered up to death, will fall by the sword. And the implication is that there'll be some kind of an execution process being taken place to rid the world of believers during that time. And, you know, we, Bonhoeffer certainly wasn't the first, uh, and we won't be the first if that happens to us. You know, the Stephen in the book of Acts was a young man, probably younger than Bonhoeffer, when he uh, took a stand for the kingdom of Christ on earth. Uh, the church, and st stood against, at that time, the Jewish authorities, and uh, basically was stoned for it. But as you, as you remember, and any of our readers or listeners will remember from reading the scripture, 
Stephen was able to look up into the heavenly places and literally had a, he had a beatific vision of Christ and saw the Lord standing at the right hand of God. I believe probably in honor of the fact that Stephen was willing to give up his life as Christ had given up his life. So the scripture urges us as believers on earth to not love this world, but to instead fix our hope completely on Christ and on the things that are in the heavenly places. Because compared to that, this world is just a, it's just a, a fraction of time. It's a second that's here and gone, but we'll be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And so that's the perspective we're supposed to have. And I think we've been talking about how, how to prepare for the end of the world. And I think one of the things that Scripture admonishes us to do is because the world is going to end with the elements being consumed with fire, that we should live for the world that's coming, Ross. That's what Bonhoeffer did. He lived for a world that was coming, not for Nazi Germany, not even for Western civilization, but for a kingdom of Christ and a city whose builder and maker was God. Well, that's a. it certainly is a tall order for us, but I think there's one thing that is very, very clear, and that is preparation of our heart for that period of time. And certainly for anyone who is familiar with Bonhoeffer, they know that that's exactly what he did. I think the the title of the book is Bonhoeffer, uh, Martyr, Christian, Pastor, can't remember what else, but Martyr. He was martyred like many other Christians were for his belief. And we do know, we've been talking about, about the signs of the coming of Christ, the end of the world. We've been talking about specifically how to prepare for that. And as you know, my position on that is that I think that the, the stopwatch is going to be depressed uh, for, for Christians anyway when the Antichrist is revealed. And one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to be... Uh, an executioner. He's going to he's going to put Jews and Christians who are on the earth to death during the days that he's in power. And um, and and one of the things I think that we need to do in preparation for those days, those last days, is have our hearts oriented so that we're able to recognize what he's going to be like. You know, it's interesting, Ross, that. Scripture says that he's going to be a very, very credible counterfeit. He's going to be he's going to be the antichrist, meaning there's going to be things about him that make him so compelling, so captivating that the world's going to want to follow him. Interesting. Um, I know as we talked about this a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I kind of looked around and said, "Are there people here today who might be?" that person and uh you know obviously you see world leaders and what have you that you might put in that particular category and you always are wondering of course i remember back in the 70s wondering at that time too and we looked around at the world to see what leaders were in place right then that could be could fit that could fit that description so i guess we'll always be doing that until that particular one does come along I think you're right, and I, I think that that uh, 
Well, we talked last last show about the two admonitions that Christ gives his people. One is to not let that day overtake you like a thief. In other words, look for it, look for the signs of it. But the second admonition was that we should be prepared for it uh, so that we might be able to escape all that is about to happen. And I've been thinking about that a lot since our last show because we sort of left our listeners hanging there, almost like a cliffhanger uh, at our last show about what does it mean to be able to escape all that is about to happen. And I I think I mentioned this passage in our last show, but let let me read it again from the Scripture, Ross. This is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica because they were becoming very anxious about the second coming of Christ. We talked last show about uh, there seemed to have been enough signs or enough evidences in every generation for every generation to think our generation could be the last one. Well, here's evidence. That that was 50 generations ago that you're talking about in the church of Thessalonica. If you look at a 40-year generation. That's exactly right. And so here this, 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 this generation of Christians who 50 generations ago saw enough evidence in the time of the Roman world of their day that they might be living in the second return of Christ. But here's what Paul writes to them. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. I want to come back and talk about that in a second. Don't let anyone deceive you. That day will not come until two things happen. First of all, the rebellion occurs first. Uh, now, Ross, you and I, and some of our earlier worldview shows, have talked about the rise of naturalism, the rise of this uh, of this period of in Western civilization when philosophical thought moved from a creation motif, a create a creator and a creation, to the idea that matter is eternal, not God. And that naturalism or materialism is the evidence of that. In a few shows back, and I would refer our listeners to this, we talked about this, these stages of God giving a population, a society, if you will, over to deepening degrees of delusion, that they can't see the truth. And I have to tell you, Ross, sometimes I wonder if the rebellion that it's talking about in this passage isn't the rise of naturalism and materialism, where men have shucked off the idea of a creator God and have replaced him with a God of their own making. But that's the first thing that has to happen. The second thing is, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And somehow, Ross, I think those two may be related in how the Lord wants us to prepare for the day of his coming. Interesting, because you do see a tremendous falling away in our generation. I think back years ago when I was a kid and compare it with the things that we see today, and there's a vast difference in what was acceptable, um, how lives were lived, the meaning of right and wrong. Um, it, it's just a we've we've undergone an incredible metamorphosis and now al- amalgamated ourselves into a worldview or at least living 
like our worldview is um, fairly dastardly. Well, Ross, I think I think you're right, and I, you know we talked about that in um, in sort of how of, of the of how God brings judgment upon a world. This is uh, this was uh, one of our shows, uh, probably seven or eight shows ago. I can't remember the number of it, but but we one of the one of the evidences of of God bringing judgment on the world is an increasing, or if you wanted to take the opposite perspective, a decreasing sensuality. And, you know, all you have to do is watch the Super Bowl show that we watched last week and, uh, and see how sensuality has become more and more a part of our culture. You know, I just wonder what my father, who is not what I would call a real religious man, what he would have thought about the Super Bowl shows in the last five or six years. It, I think he, even his sensibilities would have been shocked by how that takes place in our culture today. And I think that's another evidence that we're becoming more and more calloused. We're becoming more and more comfortable with this idea that we're not accountable to God. I think that's really what Paul was talking about, Ross. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when he talked about the rebellion, that has to happen first. And I think we'd be in the middle of that. Interesting, because as you were explaining after the talking about the Super Bowl there, my mind went back to Super Bowl number one. Now, it was not at that time called a Super Bowl, but it was a league, it was a championship. That's the first year that NFL and AAF. NFC and AFC played each other. And I do remember that it was incredibly benign compared to what we saw last night in terms of hoopla, but more particularly in terms of what that halftime was. If I recall correctly, there was a band that marched on the field at the first Super Bowl, just like a college game did a couple of formations of various things. Maybe, a, I can't remember, a flag, a football, played five songs and marched off the field. But last night, it was a it was almost like a vaudeville strip show to some degree. And it's considered to be pretty much commonplace. I mean, I'm sure that there were many, probably as many teenagers and young people watching that because – the singer, Beyonce, is a, um, I guess she's a fairly traditional, maybe even mainstream kind of singer today. She's not on the fringe at all, but that was, uh, it was almost like a burlesque show. Well, I think last the, week. you know, our point here is that it shows the increasing declination of our culture and how, uh, how desensitized We've become to this, and you know, it, I'm, I'm here. I'm looking at the passage in Romans that we talked about at that at that previous show. It says, "Therefore, because men didn't regard God highly," and I, I'm paraphrasing that. I'm picking verse in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth. Of God for a lie, you know. And it I, says in some in some um, versions, a reprobate mind gave them over to a reprobate mind. Exactly, 
And I, I wonder, Ross, if that isn't the rebellion that Paul is referring to here. But even but that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is the man of lawlessness is revealed. And in our last show, we talked about how one of the things that Jesus admonished us to do is to be on the watch and be prepared so that you might escape from all those things that are happening. And I just have to wonder if the way that we prepare our hearts will enable us to recognize all of the trickery, all of the deception that's going to happen around the time of the Antichrist. I think it's really easy for us to say now, oh, you know, I'll recognize that. I'll know that when I see it. But any one of us who have ever seen a master illusionist who's made a tank disappear or the Statue of Liberty disappear, we're all amazed when that happened. We knew it was a trick. We knew it was a delusion. But we still were amazed at the illusion. We were entertained by it because we knew it was an illusion. But at the end times... The Antichrist is going to be given authority from God himself. Now, this is a a dicey theological issue. But the Antichrist is going to be given authority from God himself to deceive the nations. Interesting, because as we think of the master illusionist, uh, I always think about him cutting a woman in half. And then all of a sudden she's put back together. So if God gives this master illusionist power, he could actually bring someone back from the dead. Well, actually, that's one of the things that the scriptures say are going to happen, whether that's going to be a wholesale bringing lots of people back from the dead or not. But one of the things it says is going to happen is the Antichrist himself is going to be brought back from the dead, apparently. It's going to be a fatal wound. Fatal, I think, means dead, doesn't it? Right. A fake wound that is healed. So one of the signs, one of the wonders that the Antichrist, or at least his messenger, his prophet, is going to be able to perform about that time is a resurrection of the Antichrist himself from the dead. And you can just you can imagine, you know, that's done in halftime of the Super Bowl. Suddenly, all the uh, you know all the nations of the world are tuning in and see this happen. It will be an incredible display, counterfeit, albeit, but nonetheless incredible display. And unless people's hearts are prepared to recognize that, they will be led astray. And it'll be real interesting at that point. I mean, I'm here again. This is my scenario, Ross. But can you imagine if he says it was? You know, one of those Christians that may have been the assassinator of the Antichrist. And so suddenly there's a worldwide uproar against Christians to imprison us, put us to death. And at that point, the Antichrist riding on the winds of this international furor proclaims himself to be God. You know, I know that's that sounds like. You know, the Left Behind series, I'm not a novelist, but couldn't that happen? Certainly it could, unless our hearts are prepared to not be deceived. Well, what we are seeing is that there are specific signs that are pretty clear that require little interpretation to have a good understanding of what is going to happen or what 
Scripture says is going to happen, and we believe that Scripture will be fulfilled just as it was from the Old Testament in the in the first coming of Christ. So our society exchanging a truth for a lie, we're seeing that in a replete way uh, throughout society, all countries, all nations, all people. Lawlessness, we're seeing somewhat of that. Um, so, and then this idea that the Antichrist will be, will die and will come back to life, that uh, there's some pretty clear things we could be looking for, which, which means that there's a lot of, a lot of stuff surrounding it that we don't want to be confused about, but those things are pretty, pretty clear. They are. And, and yet there's also in the midst of all that clarity, there's this admonition that we need to have our hearts prepared. I right. mean, you'd think on one hand, it's going to be so clear that we'll recognize it and I'll go, well, we see that. You're not going to fool me. You didn't pull a coin out of that kid's ear. You just did. That was sleight of hand. But the scripture says that the signs and wonders, the, de- the deluding influence is going to be so captivating that if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived by it. And so there's a sense in which believers, and I I would just toss this out to all of our listeners who may be Christians today, to prepare their hearts to be be mature, basically to, to study the scriptures, to not just study them, Ross, but put into practice all the things that the scriptures say we should be doing, not just knowing truth, but doing truth. And it's that heart preparation through the obedience Christ calls us to. That heart preparation is going to help us to discern and recognize all this confusing sleight of hand on a macro worldwide scale that's going to be going on around us. Now, how does this whole discussion about the second coming and end of the world, how does that fit within the eight elements of a worldview? Where, where does us, our, do our listeners want to look at? And I know we said the meaning of history, number seven. That's, that's one of them. It, the truth is, it seems to me that it really is, it kind of is embodied in all eight of these things to some degree. What, what do we do after death? Because that's exactly what we're uh, we're talking about how do we know anything we, this is what we're trying to do we're trying to figure out how do we know how do we assess scripture how do we assess our world so that we can determine exactly what's coming so doesn't it uh, doesn't it fit life commitment the eight, eight eight point so basis for right and wrong it fits all of these elements of looking at a worldview well, Ross, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that this is a basically a reason why we, you and I think this topic is such, so important for us to discuss it, that we need to remind all of our listeners and ourselves that worldview really matters. You know, and it was, I think it was Christ himself who said, if your eye is clear, now I would say, I would insert there, if your worldview is accurate. If your eye is clear, then your whole body is full of light. In other words, you have the ability to discern things the way they really are. But he goes on to warn if your eye is dark, if your worldview is not bibliocentric, then 
even the light that's in you, whatever information, whatever training, whatever education that you might have amassed in your lifetime, it's skewed by that warped perspective. And so I agree with you 100% that we need to be thinking about these things. We need to be grappling with these things. Worldview really does matter. You know, it's interesting that um, had a couple in our home a few nights ago, and the next morning we had breakfast, and so I prayed at breakfast, and they were traveling, so I prayed for a safe journey, uh, prayed for them as a couple. They have a great influence on people because of some specific knowledge. And so after the prayer, the lady said, oh, that was a beautiful prayer. Now, they're non-believers, and so I thought to myself, beautiful prayer, prayer to whom, where do we take this conversation here? Because it doesn't matter what, how beautiful the prayer may be. It could be unspoken and simply be a hard communication with God without any words being spoken. But we, it, it did let us lead us into a conversation about where we are going at, when we die and the lack of knowledge of the time of our death and how we need to prepare. And it gave me an opportunity to share with him the plan of salvation. But I thought that's, we come up, we come in contact with people every day whose worldview, the lens through which they look at the world is distorted. They're cataracts. They're, they're things that cause their view of reality not to be on point. And, you know, it's interesting that you that you couch it in those terms because, you know, our ability to discern the world correctly, and I would add bibliocentrically or Christocentrically, our ability to do that is not a product of our, of our education, whether that's theological education or just, you know, general revelation in the culture, but our ability to see things clearly is more a product of our heart inclination. You know, Ross, it was Christ who said, at one point he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he praised the Father. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things. And what he was talking about was the things related to his kingdom, everything we've been talking about. He said, I pray, Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and discerning. And I I would put quotes around that because I think Jesus was speaking probably ironically there. You've hidden these things from the wise and discerning, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of the Jewish nation whose eyes were blinded to Christ's first coming. I'm going to get to the end of this verse in a second. You've hidden these things from the wise and discerning, and you've revealed them to children. You've revealed them to children. And I don't think he's talking about uh, the uneducated, the immature. I think he's talking about those who have innocent hearts, those who have trusting hearts, those who have hearts that say, Father, I know that you love me and that you're going to look out for me and that your plans are going to come to fulfillment. So in a sense, the ability to look at the world rightly is a byproduct, Ross, of heart inclination and humility more than it is education. And I would just say, boy, I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, get your hearts ready for my coming. You know, you and I both have grandchildren. As you were talking, I was thinking about um, the grandchildren and how 
as each day goes by, they go from that seeming more seemingly innocent look at the world to a more mm, hard to to kind of determine what the word to use here is, but they're more aware. And when you become more aware, you become somewhat more discerning, but you also become a little more hardened. Mm-hmm. I guess the reality of human nature does set in. So you begin to try to understand people and you go towards some and don't go towards others. But I look back and see the youngest of our grandchildren and see significantly more innocence in those hearts than you do as they get older. And I think uh, that's, I guess, a way you have to live in this world is becoming incredibly aware. But there's something beautiful about that young, innocent heart. And, you know, the Lord, I think, wants us to maintain as adults. I mean, you and I are no spring chickens, buddy. He wants us to maintain as adults that humble heart inclination that our youngest grandchildren have, not not so much an ignorance of the way the world is, but an innocence that says, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust the people in my life that I know are good. The other day, one of my granddaughters came up to me and she said, Granddaddy, I love you and I thank you that you love me. And it melted my heart because I know that this small child thinks that I'm a good person. I'd like to think that I am a good person largely, but she trusts me because I've been good to her. And Ross, I think that's really what the Lord is saying to us. You know, trust him because he's good. I think the evidence of that is the cross. We can look at that and realize that God does love us, but he hung himself on a tree for our sins. Yeah. Wow. We've covered a lot of distance, Bob, in the last couple of shows not exactly sure whether there's more to cover in this particular topic. I think this is something for you and I to discuss over the next week before we get back together, but it's very possible that we have a continuation of this second coming show, or we may move to something else depending upon some of the things that happen in the, in the world today. But you want to take any, any parting thoughts and add those to the, to our worldview, the eight points of our worldview, or in some way bring this to some sort of a conclusion? Well, you know, I think it is interesting that the the Lord himself said, be prepared for my coming by looking for the day and then by being ready. And Peter, who walked with Christ, who heard those words out of the Lord's mouth as the Lord was talking about the signs of his coming, Peter admonished us in his in his second letter, that in light of the end of all things, what kind of people ought we to be? And he answers his own question by saying, shouldn't we be holy? Shouldn't we be godly? I would add, shouldn't we be mature? Shouldn't Christians be mature? And I'm looking forward to the times in our shows, uh, maybe coming up, when we can talk about maturity and how we can be mature, and in doing so, be prepared for his second coming. Well, I think we mentioned a couple of shows ago that you're working on a, the text of a book called Maturity Matters, and we'll talk more about that as as the weeks ensue, but appreciate your thoughts very much. We're, um, we're in some very interesting, perilous, exciting, scary, 
times. And if there's ever been a time to prepare our hearts and our souls and our minds and our bodies, today is it. I know as my wife and I look at our children and grandchildren, we ask ourselves, what kind of world are they going to grow up in? Is this world going to get any better where it will continue to decline as it has? Obviously, we've had tremendous advances. Here we are in three different physical locations creating this show that people can listen to in a handheld device or in many other devices at any point in time. So technology has developed beyond what we could have ever imagined back when the Dick Tracy watch came out in the 50s. And you were able to, or at least the comic character was able to talk into this thing on his wrist and other people heard it. We said, wow, boy, that's crazy. We've gone significantly beyond that. But we also look at a degrading, degrading society in many other ways, morally and spiritually and emotionally. And we realize that there's a cleavage taking place. It's developing. Our world is developing in some ways and falling apart in others. Mm. So, we just encourage you all to come back. Our listeners, we're grateful to you. We would appreciate if you'd let us know how you feel about the show. Let others know, whether you like it or not. You may say, these people are crazy. You ought to go listen to them because they're nuts. Come on, listen. We'd love to talk with you. And those who agree, we'd love to have you as listeners also. Let us know how you feel. Thank you to JP and James Spann for all that they do. Thank you for other, the other shows that are available on this channel. Bama Talk, and uh, there's a show on Auburn football as well as Alabama football, Eavesdrop, a women's show, Just Talking It Up, uh, Weather Brains, which is James Spann's show. We just have a lot of things going on on this, this channel, and we appreciate all the support that they give. Come listen to any of these. Bob, thank you so much for another Great uh, opportunity to talk about some things that really matter. Worldview does matter. Come be with us again. Thanks, Bob. God bless, Ross. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com. 